Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast. Exploring the greatest story ever told with open minds and open hearts. We light it up, we won't come down. And the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights. And the runaways are on in the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show. Well, hello and welcome to Question Mark, a fortnightly podcast about Mark's gospel, the greatest story ever told. We're delighted to have our regular listeners with us. And if you've discovered us just now, then you're very welcome as well. My name's David Payne and I'll be your host for this, which is the 47th episode in our journey through Mark's gospel. Today, we're delighted to have Matt Hyam back with us again. Uh, we discovered last time that you worked for World Vision, and uh, we've talked about your background a bit. So if you want to have a look to know who Matt is, go back to episode 41 or even an earlier one, actually. I can't remember how long ago that was. And we talked about the rich man who wants to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, we're very happy to have you back with us, Matt. Very happy course, to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're recording this episode right at the end of 2022, and it's been a pretty eventful year in many ways. So I just thought as this introduction, it would be a good moment to ask both of you, what are your hopes, plans and prayers for 2023? Maybe for you individually, the projects you're involved in, and you're very welcome to comment on national, international issues as well, if you'd like to. So uh, Matt, do you want to go first? What, what are your thoughts about 2023? Wow. <laughs> um, as you say, the last year has been quite uh, quite a whirlwind, hasn't it? And, yeah. uh, I'm just waiting for it to come around to be my turn to be the Prime Minister. I presume that's coming in the next year or so. We'll all have our <laughs> go, won't we? Um, uh, yeah, that, that's a tough one. You know, I... The last... I, I've been working for World Vision for just over a year now, loving doing it, Uh feel so released having been a pastor for 29 years it was time for me to stop so it's just it's just been a different experience for me um and one i've thoroughly enjoyed uh we i i lead the church engagement team at world vision which which did exist before but wasn't really um very established and then covid destroyed it and so we've got to build something from scratch we spent a lot of this year throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks <laughs> and so you know having got some ideas about what actually sticks this year feels like it's the time to actually really start to press in and and be part of the church yeah. um and so that is both terrifying and and exciting because it feels like you know all of the all of the ideas of last year have actually got to mean something this year. Yeah. Um. So so that's good from a personal level. I think uh, having been in church leadership, I, I have found it really hard to re-engage with church, and I'm starting to feel like it's time for me to re-engage with the church community. Um. And so I think that's something on my agenda. Uh, over the next few weeks and months to try and find a, a, a home to be part of. Um, yeah. It's weird working for a Christian organization because in many ways it feels like church. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's been, I've had two weeks off over Christmas and that's really made me realize that, you know, I've, I've felt the, I felt the, the, the loss of that, that community not being at work. But. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. Thank you very much indeed. We wish you well for the, Thank you. the coming weeks and months. And Steph, what about you? Well, firstly, I want to say thanks, Matt, for coming on the show again. It's, it's really, mm-hmm. really good to see you. And we, we love having you here, don't we, Dave? We do. We, do. we, we think you're brilliant. So thanks. Yeah, um, um, yeah my hopes. Um, I mean, professionally, as it were, I'm doing my mark performance. Uh, I'm excited. But I think it has a, I have a twin, a twin track going on, it seems to me, at the moment. Um, there's a personal thing and there's a professional thing, for want of a better word. And personally, I think there's some 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 things afoot with me and God, which is exciting but daunting. I feel like I'm going down very well. It's going to be a fascinating route, but it's it's full of uncertainty as well. So, in in terms of Ooh. my own prayer and my own relationship with Him, it's an exciting year, but also daunting. I wonder whether that's connected with where I'm going professionally. Um, I'm hoping. This very year, next year, 2023, I should say, um, to go to Israel and to do a film version of I Am Mark there towards the end of the year in the sites, or at least some of them, actually re- reflected in, in the story. So that that's looking like a distinct possibility. So that's hugely exciting. Otherwise, carrying on performing, going around the country, loving this. I've said to many people, this is probably the happiest time of my life uh, 2022 was the happiest year of my life i think that's not an exaggeration so mm. who knows i'd love to think that 2023 <coughs> could be just as good uh, we'll, we'll see that's good to hear and of course question mark is the recordings will come to an end at some point they will later in the year. they will but i don't want them to come to an end david but, and I, 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 don't, I don't you know and i think the conversation just definitely needs to continue and some people yeah. say i'm being really boring when I just do nothing but perform Mark's gospel and do this <laughs> podcast. But actually, Mark is, as Matt knows, I know, I don't need to him to tell, you know, me to tell him, it's so full of depth and mm-hmm. excitement and fascinating insights. We could go on forever. So I, I yeah. wonder whether yeah. there's another adventure with Mark's gospel along the lines that we've just done, but maybe something different and more exciting even than this. Open to what God has for all of us. Yeah, yeah. very exciting. Good. Well, I wish you both a very happy new year when it comes in a couple of days. Um, today's passage is entitled The Authority of Jesus Questioned in the NIV. Um, it could have been called In Which the Chief Priests, Teacher of the Law, and Elders Give Jesus a Hard Time, but I wonder what you will make of it. Having recently entered Jerusalem on a donkey and then clearing the temple courts, Jesus now comes back to the city. Let's hear the passage read to us by Lucy Warner. Over to you, Lucy. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. New International Version. The authority of Jesus questioned. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, 
Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Thank you, Lucy. Okay, I think it probably works if we start looking at the passage in sections, but I'm sure you'll want to comment on wider issues that arise as well, guys. Um, I have some questions from the contributors to our new Facebook question mark group. You can still get to it from the Iron Mark, but it's it's called question mark and it's been re-started. Re, uh, They're quite long and involved, and I know you two have seen them already, so I probably won't read them out in full if that's okay. But we do have a short one to start with, to, just to get an overview and uh, Cliff Barbrick, who was a recent guest, uh, wonders, is this story supposed to be funny? The topic seems like a serious one, and yet it appears to be told in a humorous way. Um, so, Matt, your overall view of it, and is it meant to be funny, do you think? I I don't think it's meant to be funny. Uh, I, think, I think in its context, I think we see Jesus on the back of the temple and the fig tree and quoting Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, this is a very serious judgment that he's just pronounced on Israel on their failure to do stuff. And so this is a very, <laughs> this is a really serious point that I think probably if we take it in its isolation and miss and miss the whole kind of thing, Jesus is acting like, uh, an Old Testament prophet. We often see that the case, especially like Jeremiah. He's behaving like Jeremiah and challenging the establishment, and they're they're concerned and trying to discredit him. So I don't think it's meant to be funny. I think it's very serious. But I can see how it could read that way. Yeah, out of its context. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I think if you were just reading this passage by itself. And certainly I've been tempted to make it so it can be read in a humorous light. Um, yeah. It seems as if there's a little bit of backwards and forwards at the end, doesn't there? A bit of Jesus is kind of almost taking the mickey out of them in some way. You could even argue that, but I don't think it's right. I mean, even if we, as I hope we will, we will do, dig down deeply into this passage as we've got it without the context, we'll see there are some serious intent Behind every word that's here um so yeah i can understand the question but not not sure don't think and so. there's a supplement steph he was asking as well how do you tell it in your performance is, is there any how do you yeah do i mean to be honest i haven't performed this bit very often but the times i have i've have i have indeed had the uh, idea of irony in my head but that was before i've prepared for this podcast yeah. <laughs> and I, so now i'm thinking i'm seeing this passage slightly differently now Okay, um, so we'll split it into, into bits, but as I say, feel free to go over the boundaries as well. Um, so the first two verses say, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to, to do this? And, um, and Anne wonders which things Jesus is talking about <laughs> as a starter. Do you want to start off with that Matt well I think I think you have to look at it in the, the context I mean it, it is impossible to overstate the significance of him clearing out the temple I mean this was the biggest bank in the known world and he brought it to a standstill imagine Wall Street brought to a standstill for a day I mean the chaos that, that it caused the world but in Mark's telling of it um Wright talks about this a lot he talks about how the fig tree is part of the story 
and he he curses the fig tree on the way in and then on the way out he yeah. shows the fig tree is dead which just seems random abuse of foliage if you don't understand the, the old testament context because he quotes isaiah 56 and he quotes jeremiah and in the passage in jeremiah 7 you you read further on he talks about israel being a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit and so this is what what tim mackie would describe as a hyperlink to those hearing him so when he quotes jeremiah and he goes out and the disciples see the dead fig tree this is really significant this is a major proclamation of judgment on his people and um you know they weren't allowing people access that the very place that should be the very center where people can come and find out about yahweh because that's what the temple courts were was a place where the gentile court of the gentiles and so they were saying we we're not interested in you and so this is huge you, it's like the where well, the one thing that you have been called to be uh to make disciples of all nations to to bless all the nations yes. you have made it absolutely clear you have no interest in that at all and not only that this is the headquarters of, of all of their terrorist action against the romans so uh it's in that context and and so they're obviously you know this is threatening their livelihoods their their authority everything so when they come to him say so, uh, tom wright says that really the question they're answering is do you think you're the Messiah? That's the, that's the real question. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that he's saying these incredibly inflammatory things. He's challenging them to their very core. He's absolutely saying the people of God are doing the opposite of what they're called to do. And so these leaders are like, okay, who do you think you are? Uh, and and so, so I think, the things are you you can encompass everything but especially immediately on the back of you know you're talking about the miracles you're talking about the preaching but he this incredibly powerful prophetic action um and statement against the people of god is the immediate thing before this yeah and so from the passage it does appear to have happened uh straight afterwards um and not uh and, and not you know just happens to be in a similar place so mark's mark's telling of the story of the temp temple is much more extensive than any of the other ones in, in in the inclusion of the fig tree um so i i would say that is what what he's talking about and so i mean Anne asked geez i don't think god would respond to us in the same way well i really hope not i really hope <laughs> that we're not guilty of being the exact opposite of what we're called to be amen um because that's that's the reality of, of what's what's happening here yes. um and that that is how seriously you know, the the people that god has called to be a blessing to the other nations are not allowing the other nations to come to him and are planning to kill people from the other nations in the very place where people should come and find out about god so it's pretty major overturning of what they're meant to be doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a very long answer, very short question. <laughs> Thank you. It is a great answer. It's a great answer. I've never heard anyone speak at such, with such um, clarity about what I see too as the central feature of Jesus's interruption of the, temp the temple's proceedings. Um, and it is about the nations, about the, Ju the Jewish nation's call to bless the whole world. Yeah, that's God's intention to bless everyone through Israel. 
and they're not fulfilling that call. When I say they, and I think, you know, maybe I slightly differ on, on that. It's, is it Israel itself or with Israel's leadership, I wonder? That's I think most of most of his is is, uh, is is almost always aimed at the leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, whatever the case, and, and just to you know supplement a little bit about what you're saying about the impact of Jesus's um, shutting down of the temple, I I agree with you. He shut it down, and we know that because he he forbade merchandise to be carried across the temple courts, and the only merchandise that would be carried across the temple courts would actually be for the sacrifices to mm. take place. So in other words, the whole sacrificial system mm. for that day had been shut down, or for however yeah. long it was. So, that, so that's nothing pretty... they actually did, nothing they were actually doing was wrong. Yeah. But they, there were designated places for them to do that. Yeah. But absolutely. it was just more convenient for them to use the court of the Gentiles. Yeah. So they they repurposed the very place that was for the nations to come and find out about Yahweh for their own good, yeah. essentially yeah. just saying, we don't care about you. Exactly. And they're exclusivists. And I think that's the key. Yeah. One of the key aspects of the gospel as a whole, that the disciples, too, tend to see the Gentiles in a different way to Jesus. And and it's about Jesus's actions towards the Gentiles are the of the loving God for all creation, as, in, as indeed Genesis suggests as well. So, Absolutely. Um, anyway, he going has back... nothing negative to say about, never has a negative word to say about Samaritans. Yeah. And he, he talks about the Syrophoenician woman having faith that he hasn't seen anywhere in Israel. He says something similar about a Roman centurion and their faith. Yeah. You know, Jesus is really positive about the Gentiles. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's fine. I, I love this idea of things. I, I wonder about it because I think as in every passage of Mark, you can read this passage on certain levels. And Anne's question does beg an answer on that basis. And I think yeah. one, of, one of them is, one of the levels is definitely what Matt has just shared with us, that this is the key thing that's happened just now. And you can imagine why the... The temple authorities would want to challenge Jesus on this. Like they're everything about who they are and what they stand for, their authority, yeah. as you say, depends on what the temple and what they've been doing in it. And Jesus is completely uh, undermined all of that. So you can see what these things might be from their point of view. But the whole question of authority has been going on all the way through Mark's gospel. Yeah. And this idea of thinking about these words, not just from the point of view of what's going on in history, but also from the point of view of readership, Mark's listeners, as they're listening to this, as Anne's listening to this, they are also reflecting on the other things that Jesus has done and the authority that lies behind it. So Mark is often doing this. He, he often puts questions in the, vo in the, in the mouths of his characters which also directed to us. So Anne's response is fascinating because I think that's exactly what Mark intended, that when we get a question like, by whose authority are you doing these things? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What, how, what do we make of Jesus? What do we make of Jesus? And when, it, when we read these things, we also think of the temple, yes, but we think of the whole story, the things that have happened. And let's think about it for a little bit. The driving out of demons by the authority of God. The calming of the water and the storm at sea by the authority of God. No one else could do that. The walking on the water. No one else could do that. 
but the Lord himself who's come come to Israel. Those are the those are the um, telltale signs of who Jesus is and the authority he has. I, I just want to say while we're talking about it, though, I know this is a long answer as well, but I, I think it's interesting that who, who um, the identity of the guys are coming to see him now. Because in the past, we've had the teachers of the law. Jesus has come across them quite a lot. Yeah, He's only just recently come against the high priests. And now he's got the elders for the first time. They're ganging and up, aren't they? They're, they're ganging up. They're <laughs> ganging up. And what we're representing here is the whole Sanhedrin. This is the power. Yeah. This is the center of power in the Jewish nation. Political power, economic power, spiritual power. And it's not just a casual, oh, we're just happening to walk down the street and there's Jesus walking around. And we thought we'd just, you know, ask him. This is them coming in force to challenge Jesus's authority. Who do you think you are? So, yeah, that's another long answer, but it's a fascinating question. OK, let's move on, shall we? Um, so next, Jesus replies, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. Um, and we've got a couple of questions here. Gareth asks, what authority is? Does it come from above or can it come from the bottom up? Um, and secondly, Jesus chooses not to answer the question. But is there actually a right answer? <laughs> Which I rather like. I, think, I actually think he does answer the question. I agree. Oh. Do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah I, do. Totally, I do. Totally does, yeah. Um, David Bentley Hart, in his translation of the New Testament, translates it as power. Who gave you this power? Which is interesting. The word is exousia. Um, and Strong's talks about it as the power to act. Strong's concordance. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because the thing about exousia is it's always given. There's one other word that's used for authority in the New Testament, and that is in 1 Timothy, well, I've got I've written it down here, 1 Timothy 2, 12, um, uh, which is a very controversial passage, which is talking about, I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Um, I, I think there's a whole load more to that, and I also suspect, given all of the narrative that we have, that that is probably Paul quoting his enemies so that he can respond to them because he also goes on to talk about stuff that isn't theologically correct so i think he's quoting his enemies and responding to them but that's aside the point the point is the word there is uh or, or uh authentio uh, and it's the only time we see that word in the new testament and it is about dominance and it is abusive. It's power like a tyrant. Uh, it is acting on your own authority. Thea says that it is actually one who kills another. And so this that idea of authority is one that is taken. Um, but exousia, whenever we see it in place, it is always about you have been given authority. And so I, I was thinking a lot about what Gareth said and, and looking into it and and I think, you know, did it come from above or does it come from below? And the answer is yes, um, because uh, you can have you can have authority. Uh, let's take Hitler. He clearly had authority given to him by the people of Germany. 
Um, let's take recent examples uh, across the pond, you know, <laughs> say, or or in Russia. Authority has been given to that person by the people. Mm. Um, but have they been given authority by God at the same time? I would seriously question that. And so, you know, being given authority by God is being you you are speaking on his behalf. You're a representative of God. So so I think you can have authority from humanity and not and not have God's authority in doing that, which is abusive mm. and dangerous, as, as we've seen. Um, and so, you know, in the opposite of that, you can have authority from God and the people don't give you that authority jesus when he died left 120 followers um and i mean you look at the old testament prophets we, we read the old testament prophets and we think these are this is the view of israel but they were the minority reports they were the ones that uh were, were hated by the people you see time and time again with jeremiah that he'll say something and it goes right against everything that all of the king's prophets have said it's the the king's prophets are saying you're all doing great. It's all wonderful. God loves you. Everyone's happy. And and Jeremiah's going, you are disobeying God. You are not looking after the poor. You're not doing yeah. any of these things. He gets thrown in prison for it. Yeah. So this is a guy who has authority from God, but it's not been given to him by the people. Mm. And so um, <clears throat> I think the, the, what I'm seeing in this passage is that the, the, the religious leaders are terrified because they are seeing the people are giving Jesus authority. They are listening to what he's saying. Yeah. You know, authority, authentic. It's the same root, you know, that that he is, what he's saying, is, is, we, we are giving authenticity to what he's saying by, by acting on it. So they're panicking about that. Their question is, are you coming from God? Has God given you this authority yeah. that the people are recognizing? Um and my suspicion, and, and like Tom, as I say, Tom Wright says, th their real question is, do you think you're the Messiah? Which they they really probably suspect, but really, really don't want that that what comes with it. No. Um, <clears throat> and so, yes, God has to give, well, no, people have to give authority. I mean, like John Wimbrell used to say, you're only a leader if people follow you. It doesn't matter what your status is. If no one's following you, you're not actually a leader. And so people have to give you authority. But the, the question they're asking here is, have you been given authority by God as well? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm not going to answer Gareth's first question right now. <laughs> I will try and answer it, Gareth, if you're listening, I promise you, a bit later on in the context of, maybe the next section but in terms of this section yeah. i you know totally understand what matt has just said and I, I agree with it wholeheartedly i like this idea um of authority being about god's authority i think this is the key question i think tom wright's right as it were about this and what i would love to just emphasize though is at this point before i talk about the answer to Gareth's second question is that these priests who are coming to Jesus, in a way, they are doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, you could kind of understand because they are supposed to check up on people. If there's a prophet, 
their role is to check up is he from god or not is he a false prophet so although their attention is hostile and for all the reasons that matt's suggesting and i i i take that point that deep down they probably know who jesus is and and i'll come back to that later they just don't want to admit it but even so there is a reasonable legitimate apparently reason for them approaching jesus in this way i think in terms of gareth's second question though um Jesus, I don't think Jesus is being evasive necessarily. It sounds like it. It really does. In fact, you could say this is the only time in the whole of the Gospels that Jesus doesn't answer a question. I mean, he doesn't generally evade. At least if he does evade, he'll answer the question eventually. He'll make a pronouncement. He'll make a teaching. You know, for an example, why are you letting your disciples eat corn on the Sabbath? So Jesus talks about something that happened in the reign of David and the priest yeah. Abiathar. He kind of goes round the houses, and there's a reason for that. But in the end, he comes up with the pronouncement, you know, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's making it clear where he stands on, on this issue. Here, you could argue he's he's not saying anything. He's deliberately avoiding the point hmm. I, I disagree with that idea i would have said that hmm. you know fairly re- until fairly recently but i think what's going on is much more subtle jesus and this is what in- excites me most about this passage is an incredibly logical and very clever reasoner hmm. he 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 absolutely is and he's not doing it to trick anyone he's not doing it to make them look foolish although that could be the temptation especially if you read it from a humorous angle here i don't think that's going on what he's doing is to teach them so in mentioning john there is a reason for doing it he's not evading he's actually hitting the target of what's Mm. really going on so let's think about john who was john why did jesus mention john what's that got to do with jesus jesus is nothing like john or admittedly, he was baptized by John. Um, he may well have even ministered with John, as far as we can tell, initially. But G- Jesus didn't do what John did. Uh, Jesus didn't fast. Jesus didn't baptize, not in Mark's gospel anyway. So there is something, there's a difference between the two of them. So why mention John? Because, and this is where the story begins in Mark's gospel, Malachi 3, verse 1 talks about i will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me Mm. and then the same verse carries on then suddenly the lord you are seeking will come to his temple the messenger of the covenant by which we should understand that to mean the angel of the covenant i.e the very embodiment of god whom you desire will come says the lord almighty in referring to john he's referring to who john is john is who is he ask yourselves that question and the answer to that question jesus has already pointed out in chapter nine he said john is elijah the elijah of malachi who comes before the day of the lord to prepare the way for the lord who is the lord 
The Lord is the person who comes to the temple. Who's just come to the temple? Da da. He gives the answer. He makes the answer plain. It's up to them now to decide what they're going to do with the answer. Because they know their scriptures. They know who John is. John's made it quite public as to his identity and the reason he's come. It's certainly true from Mark's perspective anyway. Mm. So do they then say, okay, yeah, you proved it from scripture. That is the authority. That is the authority. And if that's the case, you are the Messiah. In that case, <laughs> you've come to the temple, you are the Lord, which, which is what we're supposed to be desiring. But what they really desire isn't, even though they know that's what in their hearts of hearts possibly they desire, they have other desires going on, the desire for power and their own prestige. They can't give that up. Similarly, mm -hmm. similarly, they can't give up their power over to the poor. You know, sorry, I should say that again. Sorry. Similarly, they're afraid of the crowd. And the only reason for that is because they don't want to give up their authority. They don't want yeah. to give up their prestige. So they're caught on this terrible um, place of self-judgment. Mm -hmm. They know the truth, but they prefer their power. Mm -hmm. Jesus has caught them. And, and not in a way to make it nasty for them. I think it's, Jesus is always loving. Mm -hmm. Jesus, he never does anything to make people feel bad about themselves. He does it for a good reason. And the reason is exactly what he says at the beginning of the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Change your thinking. The kingdom of God is near, i.e. God has come. God has come. His kingdom has started. It's happening now, already. And they can either accept that or, or not, but he wants them to accept it. Sure, and 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 to to add to that, um, possibly even, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. John baptized Jesus. John, in baptizing Jesus, uh, one commentary talks about. So, in doing that, he anointed, he messiahed, which is what anointed means. He messiahed Jesus, and so he essentially endorse mm. jesus as being from god and and they know that jesus was baptized by john and so he his question essentially says well if you think john was from god and he anointed me then you have to accept i'm from god he can't answer their question he can't give them a straight answer no he can't say yes i'm from god because then they'll go well, no you're not yeah, it's one then, word against another, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 that is exactly the opposite of being given authority. So he <laughs> he actually says, "Okay, the one who gave me this, the human who gave me this authority, was he from God?" And so that that forces them in a situation. It reminds me of John John three eighteen and nineteen, where um, which is part of my MA thesis, where he's talking about judgment, and he says that that the light the light came into the world. Um, but but some people some preferred the darkness yes they didn't want to see the light they preferred the darkness and and he he goes on to say and this is the, this is you know that this is the judgment the judgment yes. you receive is you don't want to see the light you're hiding in the darkness rather than looking in the light because you're scared of what it will expose and i i think this is really quite profound matt because 
you know, often in this podcast, we are challenged to think, you know, what is all this to do with our own lives? And to be honest, sometimes it's easy when we look at Mark's gospel and we can, we try to make connections quickly. But actually, it's only when we go to the depth of the story, as we're doing right now, that we begin to see this. And, yeah. and for me, for me, what you've just said underlines something about who God is and where we stand mm. and what human humanity is like. Your quotation from John is exactly where I think we all are every single mm. one of us alive today. Is there perhaps an argument to suggest that we know? It's up to us now to, cho to choose. Yeah. We know in our hearts. He is the truth. Yeah. It's up to us to choose. Yeah. It's, not, it's not anything more or less than that. And it's, and it's somber, isn't it? Yeah, it is somber. As well as it's, glorious. It's, it's because it, you know, in, in John 3, 18 and 19, Jesus, Jesus says, you know, those who trust me, uh, will have eternal life and those who don't will be judged now most translations uh translate so the word is crisis judgment so and then the next chapter to uh, verse 19 says and this is that judgment crisis yes. same word so it says that those who don't trust me will be judged and this is that judgment the lights come in the world but you've chosen to stay in the darkness so you have brought judgment on yourself. You, you're not being punished. Yes. You've chosen to live in the darkness and all of the pain that that brings you rather than recognize or, or, or admit to the light. Yes. Now, most modern translations, certainly the most popular ones, will translate one of those words as judgment and the other one as condemnation, which makes it almost impossible to see verse 19 as the explanation of verse 18. But in the Greek, that's what it is. It's the explanation. This is what judgment is. Yeah. It's not a punishment for your actions. Your yeah. actions have led you to, to be in the darkness. Y your action is to choose to stay in the darkness and yeah. not to see the light. And that's what's happening here. They yeah. know who he is. They don't need to ask his, if he's if he's God yeah. or if he comes to God's authority. They want him to say that he does. Then they can call him a heretic and they've got grounds. Yeah, so they exactly. present him with a no-win situation, and he he comes out, he wins. He wins. That's exactly yeah, it. They say, yeah. you know, is it, are you A or B? And he goes, well, um, what about C? Yeah. And they're like, uh. yeah. because so, so he's not trying to catch them out. They're trying to catch him out, and he's exposing their choice to stay in the darkness. Exactly. It's holding a mirror up to them as the Bible holds yeah, exactly. a mirror up to us. And I, th and I think, you know, for Jesus is another reason perhaps why he doesn't need or doesn't want to say outright who he is. I mean, he, he does make pronouncements of some kind like that earlier. He talks about the son of man at, at any rate, mm -hmm. who has authority on earth, for instance, to forgive sins. And that's a clear point of conflict with the teachers of the law who argue, you know, only God can give, forgive sins when he heals a paralytic. So he hasn't completely kept a cloak over his identity no. but here but here no. it's too late here it's too late he knows his goose is cooked he knows his mind their minds have been made up he's known that for a, a little while in mark's gospel from chapter eight onwards he's known that hmm. um there's nothing their hearts are hardened and what's what's happening here as matt's just said is that hardened heart is being exposed hmm. it's they know but they don't want it they don't they're refusing it yeah.
Okay, I think I think you've answered part of Steve's question, but there's another bit at the end. Why was Jesus reluctant to give a straight answer, which I think you've probably answered? Was mm -hmm. it to trap the questioners or to protect himself from the reaction if he told the truth? Uh, should we expect straight answers to direct questions if we ask God today? So how do you think he treats us in that situation? <laughs> well, it depends. Are you trying to trick God into things? Yeah. Or, are you, yeah. or are you coming to him in the light or trying to find an excuse to stay in the darkness? Yes. Good question. Um, yeah. I think that's the answer, isn't it? Answer the answer the yeah. question with the question. It's good. But they're, they're not asking Jesus a straight question. No. They want him to say that he's from God so they can kill him as a heretic. They want that from him. I think it's fair to say that if you are asking out of genuineness and humility, that God sometimes answers in a way that's not expected. Mm -hmm. that he can answer in a surprising way but always in a loving way always yeah. with your best interests at heart actually um in my experience anyway and so that perhaps might be an answer i don't think god tricks us if we come to him with humility and sincerity i think i think the saddest thing for me with most of the religious leaders is that they've become so entrenched in their power and their status that they seem to have lost sight of, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe some of them got in it for the career, mm. but you'd like to think they got in it initially because they wanted to serve God. Yeah. And yet you get the impression through from so many of them. I mean, there's, there are exceptions like Nicodemus and, and a few among the Sanhedrin um, but even they are too scared at this point mm -hmm. to speak up and to challenge. But th there's a, this, this, I, I am not going to ask questions, even though I know I need to, because it will threaten me and my status and my power and all of those things. And so I am going to defend my position, even though. I I know that I, I, they they must know they must know. Matt, can I just interrupt there briefly? I'm sorry if it has come across your flow, but I think it's really important to point out here what you've just said. Let's just take those same words and apply them to a 21st century Parliament, not so far from here, or maybe a 21st century House of Representatives or House of Congress, not so far from here. I'm not going to name them. Precisely, I, I think the le no, I think the listeners will know who I'm talking about. What's really at stake? Yeah, those Welsh, eh? <laughs> Let's. Um, what's really at stake with people in authority, people who are leaders? And I think for Mark's readers as well, because this whole section of the Gospels has often been about leadership. It's about church yeah. leadership as much as it about the leadership of the Jewish nation here. Hmm. What's really at stake? Who do they? What do they really want? If they want power and prestige for themselves, fine. But that's not the leadership Jesus has in mind. If they want to do what God wants, that's what leadership is. Yeah, it's not necessarily what we think it is. No. I wonder whether you have any final thoughts. We're running out of time slightly here. Anything you've not been able to say? I think we've we've got to the we've covered most of the aspects of the passage, haven't we? But. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, 
I mean, I mean, for me, as, as I mentioned, we were talking before that I, I think the last the last sort of 25 years, 20, 25 years of, of my time have 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 been an accidental journey of, of asking questions um, and increasingly finding that the answers that I was given didn't actually make sense. And then and then finding that a lot of what I thought was orthodox christian historic christian historic christianity was actually not and uh and discovering more and more looking at patristic writings and uh and, and reading up more on the early church and learning from our brothers and sisters around the world who aren't from the same stream as us who aren't necessarily evangelical and realizing that actually many of the views that that we have assumed are historic Christianity are actually really recent ideas. And what, what I found is that it, it I mean, I, I can't in any way compare my experience to that of Jesus, but, but coming up against this wall where people are just not willing to ask mm -hmm. questions, you know, you, it, you, who do you think you are to say these things? So I'm I'm not coming up with new ideas here. I'm not telling you anything. I'm not just thought of this. This isn't a new thing. This is the old thing. In fact, yes. I'm challenging you because what you've got is the new thing. Yes. And you've disregarded the old thing. And so, but but hitting that wall time and time again. And you know, I've received hate mail. <laughs> you, you get this stuff, and 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 uh, you know, my my great friend Brad Jersak. You know, he has people who who will deliberately try to sabotage his ministry, who will deliberately contact churches to uh, stop them from him having him speak there and things like that, just for this same reason. He's, he must be a heretic because it doesn't fit with my view. Wow. Steph, can we stop there and come back for a minute? Yep. That's a good place to yep. stop Thank you for that. We'll come back in a minute, guys. I'll. Um, okay. It'll be about five Absolutely. minutes probably, something less than that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So uh, I was I was sent to Spurgeon's Bible College uh, 25 years ago, and I just remember coming through that first term and feeling like so many of the things that I had just thought were just orthodox, established Christian ideas were actually superstitions or were actually based on Greek philosophy and not on the Bible at all. And, and, and it left my whole faith shaken and um questioning what i was trusting in um and spurgeon's is a, a very conservative evangelical college it's not something it's not renowned for being radical and yet so much of of what a lot of christians believe is is just not biblical christianity even even exposed in someone like spurgeon's and so it left me really questioning what what is my faith in and i realized it was in my understanding of scripture not in jesus and it was a process i needed to go through to to actually have my faith in jesus which would then enable me to have my assumptions questioned without shaking my faith and i think a lot of the time for the for the pharisees um the they are defending a lot the religious leaders are defending their understanding their interpretation of scripture um that they wrote the uh 
the the Talmud as as a way of explaining the scriptures to better to people. And then but soon you find a number of interactions with Jesus. They are defending the Talmud and not the actual scriptures. Mm. And Jesus is like, actually, you got you got you got that wrong. That's not what it means at all. Mm. But but they have made their interpretation of the scriptures, the scriptures themselves. And that and that sort of idolatry is a really terrifying thing. And and it's like having a brick wall. And and if you remove one of those bricks, if we allow ourselves to ask questions about one of those bricks, then the potential is that the whole wall could come crumbling down around us. Um, and that is not a healthy position to be in. That That is you, you can't be a disciple if you can't ask questions you can't be a disciple if you can't no. learn because the definition of disciple is a student and um uh charles spurgeon himself a very conservative evangelical christian said i pity the man who has no doubt i fear he is not even on the right road you know we we have to do be able to ask questions historically when people ask questions that's what led to the abolish, abolishment of slavery it's what uh, led to uh, a change of attitude towards the Jews, although it did take the Holocaust. So that's happened too. Uh, about racism. All of those things happen when people start to ask questions about assumptions that they'd held for a long time. And what we see in this passage with Jesus, it's it's different because I think in many ways the Pharisees are, are trying to defend their power. And I don't think that's the case with a lot of people. I think a lot of people genuinely are trying to defend what they think is the truth. Um but an unwillingness to ask questions and to genuinely uh, question your own assumptions is a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. It's a dangerous place to be because essentially what you are then defending is your opinion and not the Bible at all. Um, and so, you, you know, the extreme of it is what we see here with Jesus. And they say, who do you think you are? Do you think, you, you know, who do you think you are to challenge us? Um and, you know, that, that has to be something we're doing all the time. We've got to be changing our view all the time. I think it was Brian's answer said, if, you know, if you if you don't look back in 10 years' time and go, I can't believe I believe those things, then you're not growing. I think um, it is it is something that we have to be aware of and beware of, that our understanding of the Bible can feel complete, but mm. actually it isn't, that mm. as we grow in maturity we begin to realize hold on well, i haven't quite i haven't i haven't seen that before as you dig deep like we're doing today you realize it's possible to come at the bible from a completely different angle and to get oh, completely God. different results so to base one's faith on one's understanding of the bible is is a tricky thing to do yeah i think i think for me what you were saying in the intervening kind of intermission while we weren't recording matt about basing one's faith on relationship with Jesus as that's our that's our rock. He is the word himself. Mm -hmm. He is that he is the interpreter of the scriptures through the Holy Spirit. He is he is our or origin, he is our source. And we have to be aware that scriptures can are, are, are full of life and power. They're not static things. Yeah, totally. and that's uh, that's why this podcast is called Question yeah. Mark. Absolutely, um, we, because we're always be asking questions. Yeah, it's. I mean, Mark itself is full of all these weird and 
strange things going on, you know, sort of things we've been dealing with today. And it's quite easy because we're over familiar with the story to go through this story and mm. not ask the questions that are really there, obviously on the tip of our tongues, as it were, mm. either because we don't notice them or more likely because we're afraid. You know, well, I've got this view and I want to hold it because mm. I feel safe and secure with it. I don't want to ask a question or hear an answer even that might challenge it. Yeah. Because I'm worried about what might happen to my faith. And I understand that position. But actually, I don't think that's where you, the faith shouldn't necessarily be rooted in your understanding. Understanding shifts and changes. Absolutely. I, I think I think for me, one of the one of the most important things I've ever learned is we're all wrong. Yes. <laughs> and and if we can just be comfortable with the fact we're all wrong and and we don't we're not wrong. We're not all wrong about everything. And we're not completely wrong about necessarily anything, but we are all wrong. We we all, I believe absolutely in objective truth, but I've never met anyone who hasn't got a subjective view of it. Yeah. And anyone who thinks they have an objective view of objective truth, they're the people who scare me the most. Because like, yeah. you just, you just can't. And, and you, you will, I mean, even things, practical things like, in in what 150 years ago, there was a whole load of documents discovered in uh, in in uh, Baghdad, a load that were were in a crypt or somewhere like this. A whole load of things which gave us a whole different understanding uh, of the ancient Near Eastern worldview of creation and of the cosmos. So when the King James Bible was written, that wasn't discovered, and. Uh, and it still took another 50 years before they were able to translate it. And so, you know, on a purely practical level, we have access today to information that at the time of the King James Bible wasn't available, which actually puts a different slant on helping us to understand scriptures. Yeah. And so, yeah, there are, there are practical things that change all the time. As, uh, uh, you know, more and more people are looking back at patristic teaching and it's it's putting a different slant on stuff um and and you have you can have two responses to that you can say i mean the orthodox idea is that these are the people who spoke the language lived in the culture and in some cases knew the apostles personally so they're probably the best people to start explaining what the scriptures mean um they don't have to overcome the language and the cultural differences <laughs> that we do no but then you get other people like um i won't mention john piper's name but he said that um, the, the the New Testament saved the church from heresy, and and so what are you talking about? It didn't it didn't just arrive out of heaven and put everyone right. It was those church fathers and mothers who, over three centuries, were collating stuff and gathering it, and and the and and it, it you know it and and so essentially, but but he has to say that because if he gives any credibility to their teaching it completely challenges his own teaching. So he has to find a way of either learning and accepting he's wrong or just writing off stuff from, from before. How can you write off the people? Polycarp was a disciple of John. Dionysius, or, or St. Denis, in fact, is his other name. Uh, he, he, he was a contemporary of Jesus. They lived through the times. And in the Orthodox Church, they will only accept people as as patristics if, 
new if their teaching is consistent with those earlier ones so how can you write off the teaching of people who who lived there and actually saw it happening and knew the people who write it wrote it in favor of your teaching how can you call the people who put together the bible heretics you know that that's just insane <laughs> but it's that it's that i've got the objective truth and no one's got the, you know we, we have we have a glimpse of it and, and i hope that i will learn and i will continue learning and i'll get a better understanding of that one day i'm going to see it objectively but right now we all have cultural lenses we all have have um theological lens we have all these different lenses that we look through language issues that we just you know it we have to accept if we can accept that we're all wrong then <laughs> that, that's a good starting point yeah no one has a big picture no one has a huge big picture that's true i i i think key to understanding the scriptures having said that is getting to to the root of them as in what is their background? What is the lens that was they were seen in or seen through when they were first written and when they were first mm. read? Mm. And that's what this podcast tries to do. It We're never going to get there, I don't yeah. think. There's always going to be learning along the way. Yeah, always, 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 yeah. always going to be learning. Steph, yeah. have you got any final comments? I think for the, from this passage, I think one thing we haven't talked about, perhaps we talked about leadership in general, but I think for me... Church leadership is an interesting area that we need mm. perhaps to just mention. Where where do we as church, I'm not a church leader, thankfully, but if I were, where do we as church leaders get our authority from? Or where do we look to for our authority? Mm. So I'm not going to cast any church leaders in this position at all, but I imagine it's a temptation. I've never been one, but I imagine it's a temptation. If one is paid, for instance, where do where does one look to for permission to do certain things absolutely absolutely there's a, there's a really good book i read a few years ago by a guy called tim subtle called shrink and he talks about this and he talks about how the whole kind of mega church idea and, and it's funny because literally this week um, my brother-in-law was uh, a youth leader many years ago in a, in a mega church and he was telling us this week that the pastor had said to him um i just read loads of business books because there's nothing in the bible on on how to do church and i'm like what the entire new testament certainly the letters is on how to do church but it just isn't doing the church you want to do and so you know at some point you've made a decision this is what i want to do it yeah. doesn't fit with scripture Therefore, I will build a business and call it a church. That's terrifying. That is utterly terrifying. The okay. Bible doesn't say anything about church. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, think for me, you know, it's easy, it's easy for me to say I'm not a church leader. But from the church leaders here in this story, their role is to, to either obey or not the voice of God, the will of God. Yeah. That's what the Mark's gospel has been about. What do you want? Do you want to do what God wants? What does Jesus want to do? I, not what I will, but what you will, Lord, at the mm. in the Garden of Gethsemane. But so many of the people in the story, the disciples themselves, these church leaders or these synagogue leaders or sorry, leaders of Israel, what they want is different. And it's, yeah. a, it's a key question for all of us, but particularly for leaders. 
And the other thing I, the other thing I want to say is Jesus doesn't need to answer the question that they ask him in a way because the answer comes anyway. I, I, in, in the old Bibles, uh, back in the day, they used to have these cross-references, didn't they? And one of the cross-references for this passage, interestingly, is Numbers chapter 16. And in Numbers chapter 16, it's the story of Korah, who was one of the Israelites coming out of Egypt hmm. uh, in the wilderness. And he opposed Moses. He said, where do you get your yeah. authority from? Huh. And Moses doesn't answer him either, interestingly. He says, we're going to see what happens. And what happens is yes. something unusual. Moses says something new is going to happen. It will clearly distinguish who's got authority, whether I'm what I'm doing is from God or not. Mm -hmm. And in the next episode of, of that story, what happens is the, the earth opens up and Korah and all his families and flocks and everything plummets to, plummet to their deaths. That mm -hmm. was a sign for them. In a way, Jesus doesn't need to, to mm -hmm. say anything. And in the next story, he's actually going to he's actually going to suggest, you know, it's obvious what's by what's going to happen next. Who has got real authority? Well, it's time to wrap up this conversation for now, at least. Uh, Matt and Stefan, thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts with us. It's been a fascinating conversation, uh, and we've enjoyed having you with us, listeners, as well. Uh, we're so grateful to members of the newly formed question mark group on Facebook in particular this time uh, who supplied the questions today. If you're not already involved and would like to be, do join in the conversation there. That's all we have time for today. So it's goodbye from Matt Hyam. Goodbye. Goodbye from Stefan Smart. Bye bye. And from me until next time, goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode of Question Mark and don't want to miss any future episodes, be sure to click on the subscribe button. This also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation too. We'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes. If you want to find out more about I Am Mark, Stefan Smart's solo word-for-word dramatisation of Mark's gospel, go to www.sleek.bio slash iammark where you can sign up for free for his newsletter and a whole host of other goodies. Join us and our special guests next time, where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I Am Mark social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. We'll light it up, we won't come down And the sun can't stop us now Watching it come true, it's taking over you and This is the greatest show Where it's covered in all the colored lights And the runaways are running the night Impossible comes true, it's taking over you and This is the greatest show